This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is a Wednesday. You're halfway through the week already. Congrats. That's always nice. The Denver Broncos uh, are back, of course, uh, underway at the Valley. They were earlier today. And uh, good news, Nick Benito back at practice, as uh, Sean Payton so far. Good to his word, saying that uh, a lot of the Broncos that had either missed the game or even missed uh, practice on Monday, the walkthrough, uh, would be back in relatively short order. Benito uh, leading that pack. Obviously, one important player. We talked about him a little bit uh, yesterday as well. But some interesting perspectives around the football world as the Broncos try to turn things around. And there have been a lot of confusion. We've talked about it here, Sandy, that that there are people that believe that the Broncos have, uh, you, had, you had before, a top 10 offensive line. We think that's some sort of patently ridiculous. Uh, there are national perspectives based on, and, and you believe the Broncos have been getting the benefit of the doubt, because of Sean Payton. I think so. Uh, This current climate with Sean Payton as the new coach, I think has given the Broncos as a whole, not, not just Payton, but the Broncos as a whole, credibility that I'm not sure they've earned yet. I guess if I were to sum up my point, that would be the way to do it. Well, earlier today over at ESPN's uh, Get Up, there was a discussion about Russell Wilson and Sean Payton and the idea that the two of them have to find a way to not only coexist but thrive if the Broncos are going to even contend for the playoffs this year. Uh, McFarlane was, let's say, sanguine about the possibility. Booger McFarlane from Get Up. Fixing Russ is an interesting place for us to be. Yes. Because a year ago, the Broncos brought him in to be the savior. And now they're bringing in Sean Payton to try to save him. Right. So, Booger, we got there. Life comes at you fast sometimes. That's where we find ourselves. Do you feel like it's going to work? Greeny, I don't know. And and I continue (laughs) to say the same thing when asked this question. These two don't really fit together. It's like oil Mm -hmm. and water. Sean Payton runs an offense that is about preciseness, about rhythm, about timing, about getting the ball out. Just go back and think about Drew Brees. And everything that Drew Brees was – Russell Wilson is not. Russell Wilson's best attribute is the deep ball down the field, the improvisational plays, scrambling, running around. Well, that's not the Sean Payton offense. And I get it. As a head coach, you're supposed to adapt to your talent. But sometimes, Greeny, we are stuck in our ways, and maybe Sean Payton is stuck in his ways. And Russell Wilson, so far, in the one game we saw, he's still stuck in the Russell Wilson ways because this offense has to be on time, and Russell doesn't always play on time. I think that's a terrific observation, mainly because I agree with most all of it. But, Sean, I know you don't particularly go in the one game after one game in that direction. But 13 of the 14 passes were from the pocket. What he didn't say was that it looked as if it looked as if it was more of the same. And the question of a coach adapting to a player or his players stylistically, whether it's an offensive coach, a defensive coach, I I suppose even a special teams coach, but particularly on offense and defense. Well, we've in the last year seen the Broncos try it more or less Russell Wilson's way. Certainly last year. Yeah. And it didn't work very well. No. So let's at least for a year, try it Sean Payton's way 
And if you're talking about a top five or a top 10 offense in most every year that he was the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, I think his way right now makes more sense. And it's up to Russell Wilson to adapt to his way. And I think the sense I got, and I know it's a preseason game, so I'm not going on stats. I mean, we can go on passer rating. Well, the passer rating was horrible until the last pass, which went for a touchdown. And on a small sample size, 7 of 13 for 93 yards, one touchdown versus no interceptions, as opposed to no touchdowns and no interceptions, that changes your rating from bad to good to slightly better than average. And so I I don't look at the stats, but I look at what Dr. Rick Perea was talking about on Monday, just the body language, the look, and he looked lost. He looked confused. He, to me, looked out of sync. The fact that he was getting rushed certainly didn't help. But again, I make the distinction, if anything, the backup quarterback, Jarrett Stidham, was more poorly protected than Wilson was, and nobody thought Stidham played well. Statistically, though, he 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 wasn't. Russell Wilson was pressured at a higher rate than Jarrett Stidham was per drop back. Well, it was close, sixty-four percent to fifty-nine percent. But okay. Wilson was pressured worse. I, and by I, and, I, I, I saw it differently. But hmm. that it's the degree of pressure, and uh, Wilson wasn't pressured on his first pass, and he threw it way behind the tight end. That's the only easy route. That's but but that's a pass that an NFL starter has to make sure a hundred percent of the time. He can't ever miss. That. I'm sorry, he can't. Not not a starting quarterback in the NFL. I'm not even talking about a top ten quarterback. Top ten quarterback will never, will go years, years, decades maybe, depending on how long he's been in the league, without missing a pass like that. Russell Wilson misses that pass all the time. At least he did last year. All the time. And he missed a lot in Seattle, too. He was one of the worst short-to-intermediate throwers on a percentage basis in all the NFL. He overcame that because he was so good on the deep ball. And, frankly, his receivers didn't get as uh, as much credit as they should have in Seattle because they help make his stats as a deep thrower even better than they obviously were here last year with a group of receivers that weren't as good at getting open deep, weren't as good at generating separation. So uh, I, I'm more in agreement. I know you're you're not. And the, the key there with Booger McFarlane was the, the initial response, I don't know. Right. And that's, uh, that's right. Nobody knows. Which, by the way, is, nobody, is always a smart answer. Knows. We don't know either. But right. in this case, I don't know probably means closer to no so. than yes. <laughs> right. I don't think so. It's oil and water. And it, we talked about this. Uh, I, I'm not saying that it isn't right for a coach like Peyton with his record to come in and impose his system. We have, a, go back to the first press conference, we have a certain way we meet. Right. We have a certain way we train. We have a certain way we practice, and it's not for everybody. And when he said that, I think that's the definitive line, and the question is whether that's for Russell Wilson or not. Certainly Russell Wilson is going to try to do it that way, but as Joe Lombardi pointed out, in June, Russell Wilson's way has never been anything close to Sean Payton's way. And the silly notion that was propagated by a few in the media 
that because Drew Brees and Russell Wilson are very good friends, well, Brees worked with Peyton. He's good friends with Wilson, so Wilson will go with Peyton. And on top of that, Wilson has always wanted Peyton to be his coach. But there's not really much in the way of philosophical similarities between the two yeah, quarterbacks. Yeah, the, the friendship doesn't mean anything. Uh, it doesn't mean Va- anything. Vaughn Miller and Peyton Manning are friends. Should Vaughn Miller be the backup quarterback to Josh Allen? I mean, that makes no sense. Well, no, there's, no, there's no, no, but I, I no, mean, I'm not saying that, I, of I, course, I friends, can whatever. See, it's the same position, and they're two but that doesn't highly mean that you acclaimed quarterbacks of both for Super Bowl teams. I, I see the, but it requires just a little more thoughtfulness to say that, yes, they're close friends, but Breeze and Peyton were a stylistic match made in heaven. Wilson and Peyton, on the surface of things, don't seem to be philosophically coordinated. And here's here's the problem, and I've talked about this before, and I am more bullish than you are, but there are realities here at play, and I've, I've talked about this as well. And not only is there a lack of synchronicity in the way that Peyton's offense goes, at least which we saw with Drew Brees, which was the vast majority of Peyton's professional coaching career, and the way Russell Wilson plays. But the other problem is is larger than that. Russell Wilson's style of play, the improvisational, extend the play, uh, try try to hit the, the kill shots down the sideline, that is no longer, at least at the current NFL level, and the NFL is cyclical. It will come back, because it always does. But right now, not because of Russell Wilson, but because of Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, that style of play has more or less been neutralized. And all you have to do to find out is look at Mahomes or Rodgers. Average depth of target over the last couple of years. They have gone down. In fact, it's gone down across the league. Because of the ability of those two guys, very different in age, very different in experience, Vic Fangio's put the lid on the defense, right? That the two safeties high, simply let make them play in front of you. Do not get beat from behind. The uh, equivalent of no doubles defense at baseball on the football field. That has come into vogue. And every single team runs it so you don't get roasted by these phenomenally gifted passers that, can do so much with the ball. And Mahomes is one of them. Rodgers is one of them. Burrow is one of them. Josh Allen is one of them. You can go down the list. Russell Wilson is one of those guys. But the difference is when you see what Mahomes has done to it, uh, done over the course of the last few years, Rodgers, uh, Burrow as well, even in his short career, Josh Allen less so, which is one of the reasons the Bills have some concerns too. They have altered the way they play to do a little bit more of taking what the defense gives them with precision and speed. More of the uh, dink and dunk, if you want to call it that. Of course, you want to call it that. You can point out that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are the two best dink and dunk quarterbacks in the history of the league. Seem to work out well for them. But you're not going to be in today's NFL uh, able to just roll out to the sideline, wait for a guy to break deep, and chuck it. Because defenses are specifically now taught that's the one thing that you're not going to allow. We can live with everything else except that. So some of it is the the, the way that Peyton's offense works and Wilson works, but some of it is Wilson needing to adjust and adapt the way so many other quarterbacks have realized they have taken that away from me. They're not going to let me have it. End of story. I can keep banging my head against the brick wall, but the brick wall's not coming down. So what can I get? 
and the Mahomes of the world and the Rodgers of the world, those quarterbacks, the best of the best, have adjusted what they do. They've, they've cut their time to throw. They have reduced their average depth of target. And they are letting skilled wide receivers and tight ends, obviously, hello, Travis Kelsey, take what they can after the catch. Russell Wilson is a quarterback that likes to create most of the yards with his arm and not have the guys do as much after the catch. That's not the way the NFL is played now in successful offenses. And Wilson has to make that change, whether Peyton was the head coach or anybody else was. When Drew Brees said during the offseason about Russell Wilson, he's really going to have to commit to doing the little things. He did none of the little things very well. And in Seattle, he did the big things. I mean, he was dynamic. He was exciting to watch. And when Pete Carroll and the offensive brain trust in Seattle tried to say to him in his 30s, got to start doing the little things a little more as you advance in age. He didn't want to hear it. And, And in fact, I believe the stories that he was fairly aggressive in lobbying for the firing of Pete Carroll and the hiring, strangely enough, of Sean Payton as the head coach, because he thought Sean Payton would let him throw like Sean Payton let Drew Brees. Where, where was Sean throw. Payton's reputation as a player's coach? Did I miss that at any point? I don't recall that well, ever it, being the case. In it apparently Florida. never occurred to Russell Wilson that he was not a player's coach. What occurred to Russell Wilson was, I'm good friends with Drew Brees, and Drew Brees had a special relationship with Sean Payton. And got during to throw the ball as much as I'd like to throw it. Right. In the end. But... What, where Drew Brees threw the ball, Drew Brees is ahead of his time. Drew Brees was doing all the dinking and dunking yeah. before dinking and dunking uh, became not only fashionable, but a necessity. Uh, once again, uh, everything's cyclical. Uh, things go out of vogue, and then they come back into mm-hmm. fashion uh, very quickly. And with Brees, it was based on yards after the catch, throwing the ball in the middle of the field, uh, throwing the kind of pass uh, that was very easy to catch, uh, probably in terms of raw arm strength. Uh, he's not Russell Wilson. Although Russell Wilson's arm strength has uh, diminished to the point where if you were to list the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL strictly according to arm strength, he wouldn't be on the list anymore. Probably not. There was a time, and not more than maybe a year ago, in which if you listed the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of arm strength, Russell Wilson be on it. Now, in this ESPN piece earlier this week, he did get votes, but he wasn't in the top 10. Accuracy. Believe it or not, Russell Wilson got votes. He's never been known for accuracy, but he wasn't in the top 10. Touch, not in the top 10. Mechanics, he's not in the top 10. Field vision, uh, decision-making. Second reaction, rushing ability, compete level slash toughness, and pocket presence. He didn't make the top 10 in any of those areas, and I'm suggesting a year ago, and uh, this was pointed out uh, during the same conversation that we just played back a few minutes ago, at least a part of that conversation, that last year Russell Wilson was going to be in the top 10 in eight or nine of those 10 categories, and he was the Broncos' savior. Now the Broncos' savior is Sean Payton, 
and the person he has to save most is Russell Wilson. What a change in a year's time. Now, some of I that. think an unprecedented change for a top-level quarterback to go from being one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league to one of the 10 worst quarterbacks in the league in the blink of an eye. He, he did have a, a, an abysmal season. There's no way around it. But his career completion percentage, even after the disaster that was last year, at 60.5, by far the lowest of his career, he's still a 64.6% completion rate in his career. Drew Brees, maybe the gold standard for accuracy, 67.7. I know. It's not that Russell I Wilson know. actually isn't an accurate passer, but you are right. But two out of three is a lot different than not even 65 out of every 100 throws connecting. And I, I know well, yeah, there's a deep ball element to Wilson's game that isn't there with Breeze. That That's a lot, though, in the NFL. Uh, 67.5 right. is above average, and frankly, well, 64 he, is below average. But he was so over, he was over that until last is year, o, is below average. Just now. But before I, he came to Denver, he wasn't. Then it, then it was average or barely average. Breeze was 70.5% his last year. It, yeah, he was. I, I mean, he grew with the times. He became more accurate as time went on, even as he got older. Wilson has become less accurate as he's gotten older. Wilson is aging the way quarterbacks used to age. Quarterbacks now playing in their 40s like Breeze and Brady and at least close to it, Peyton Manning, uh, even John Elway played until he was 38 years old and only injuries really took him uh, out of football. Uh, the days of Aaron Rodgers that, is vowing now to play well into his 40s. He says he feels great. Uh, he's revived as a New York Jet. Um, still gets to wear primarily green colors. Yeah. So what's what's not the like about the transition? Following exactly in the footsteps of his old friend Brett Favre, who also went from the Packers to the Jets uh, way back uh, in 2008 when he played for a year with the Jets and then went on to the Vikings and actually played a lot better with the Vikings uh, at least his first year there than he had with the Jets. Uh, I see something similar for Rodgers. I'm not sure this year will be his best Rogers, year. Rodgers, by the way, 65.3% uh, completion in his career, 0.7% different over the course of the career. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think it's fair to say that Russell Wilson's not an accurate quarterback. I don't. I don't think I, that's fair. I do. By today's standards, he's not an accurate quarterback. Aaron, and, then Aaron Rodgers yeah. isn't either. It's 0.7% between know, the two. 0.7%. I, I, I know, but Aaron Rodgers. seven out of a thousand passes. Okay, okay, Sean. When Russell Wilson came into the league, which was five plus years after, how, how long did Rodgers sit? Rodgers came in the league in 06. Russell Wilson came in 2012. Right. So Aaron Rodgers' numbers, even as when he started games beginning in 2008, his percentage numbers weren't great but they were right there with what the league completion percentage numbers were at that time. The numbers keep going up and up and up, the completion percentage numbers. Whereas during Elway's career, Elway completed, what, 55, right. 56 totally of his passes? Era of that was fine for that era. It wasn't great, but if, if you put Montana's career numbers pass completion percentage against today's it's people would say what was the fuss about joe montana but joe montana completed a high percentage of passes for his time and was known for his accuracy as a result 
And if Joe Montana played today, Joe Montana would complete 69, 70% of his passes every year he played. It's a, it's a different era okay. now. The rules are different. Quarterbacks are protected in ways increasingly, in ways that they never were protected before. You can't take a guy whose career began in 06 and compare it with a guy whose career began in 2012. No. But I, but I can take his I can take a guy who's starting for four years from 2008 to 2011, prior to joining Russell Wilson joining the league in 2012, and point out that Aaron Rodgers in his first four years in that I don't argue that I don't think that's a different era completed 65.5 percent. Wilson in his rookie year completed 64.1 as a rookie. Hasn't been that different over the course of his career. But if you tell me the average percentage for a quarterback is somewhere between 60 and 65. I don't think that's true anymore. It's more like 65, 66, 67 is the average completion percentage. Well, now, listen, Rogers didn't hit it last year. Is not, and he didn't have a very good year. In fact, he had a bad year. That's one of the reasons that the Packers were as glad to move on as Aaron Rodgers was glad to move on from that. Rodgers is at 65% in two of the last six seasons. Uh, Russell Wilson does have also a couple, MVP two of the last six seasons. That's true. Russell Wilson's never that's true. Been an MVP but I, I, very I don't close. Know if that that completion percentage idea is exactly right. We'll take a look at more of this. Uh, I'm not the only person who believes there is hope. Dan Orlovsky had an opportunity to talk about it too, and we'll do that next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. There is no way to spin it. Russell Wilson's season last year for the Denver Broncos was a disaster. By far the worst year of his career in virtually every metric you would like to look at. Uh, The career basically seems to have fallen off a cliff. How much of that is that trying to parse it all out? Now, if you're Sean Payton, you blamed it all on... Nathaniel Hackett, I'll be totally honest. I don't think Sean Payton truly believes that, but I think that's what Oh, he I think he does. And, I, I, I think it's part of his ego that he does. You think he really, he so thinks, he believes that there was no decline. Thinks, in Russell, even I'm defending I, Russell Wilson, and I think there's been a decline. You well, think Sean Payton doesn't think that? Well, it, it, it's certainly not what he said. He said uh, it, it was basically everybody's fault but Russell Wilson's that he had a bad year and he hadn't lost anything. And I think an earlier statements went as far as to say you don't know football if you believe he's lost it and can't get it back, um, presumably because Sean Payton thinks he's the one who can fix it. Now, I, I also think that Sean Payton believes he doesn't have a very good football team, and those recent statements reflected that attitude as well. I mean, to criticize players you're currently coaching, which he clearly did, yes. I mean, he oh, blasted yeah. the offensive line, well, uh, Ben Powers is new and McGlinchey is new. The other three guys are playing for him now. And he said they weren't any good last year. And he said they were, along with Hackett, primarily responsible, as opposed to Russell Wilson himself, for Russell Wilson's decline. I mean, that's that's his point of view. Uh, I think I do think deep down, Sean Payton believes, and I think he believed this about Drew Brees at the end too. 
he can't lift a team anymore. Right. He can be quite good, but he can't lift a team. And, and there are very few players I, that can. I thought last year it was almost impossible to distinguish whether Russell Wilson was hurting the Broncos or the Broncos were hurting Russell Wilson. And that was probably close to 50-50 just as a general uh, statement on things. But the tiebreaker for me and the reason I tilted a little bit more uh, in the direction of making Russell Wilson responsible for Russell Wilson's own bad play is that for virtually the entire year, Russell Wilson did things his way. Right. He did what he wanted. You to had a do. hands-off coaching right. situation where to, to the point where you had a, kind a of Tuesday game plan session and a review led not by a coach but by Russell Wilson and his own private quarterback coach. Right, and that's not happening anymore. But there are, I think, some reasons when when someone's put up a significant body of work, nine good years. And one very bad year. I think there are still reasons to believe that there is room for a bounce back. Now, does that mean I think he's going to be an MVP candidate? No, but I think there's room to return more towards the form you'd seen for the majority of his career. Dan Orlovsky earlier today on ESPN seemed to feel similarly. So if this thing doesn't start getting better quickly, what happens, Danny? Nothing good, Greeny. I, I, I want to be very clear, though. I, I still believe in Russell Wilson as a player. And I think he wants to do what Sean Payton wants him to do. To your point, patience is going to be needed. How much is going to be extended? I remember this offseason. I think it was Drew Brees who obviously played for Sean Payton was like, hey, Russ is going to have to really commit to doing all the little things that Sean wants with his feet and his footwork and marrying things. Because that's what tells you or when where you should throw the football and where. And, and that's not where it needs to be right now. Could it get there in another month to six weeks? Sure. Russ comes off as a person that will commit to that. I'm less confident after the preseason opener, but I'm still, I'm, I'm still not giving up on Russell and, the, and Sean Payton with this working out after one preseason game. He needs to see the field better. That, that has to change. Yeah, I I agree with all of that. There are things that have to change, but there is also reason. He doesn't see the field. What I truly believe is the important part is I do believe that Russell Wilson is trying to do what Sean Payton asked. I I think you can can take. He's not an open revolt. Yeah, you can take the uh, the stats any way you want. You can say Russell Wilson. I I think there were things to take away that I thought were positive. You could just say it was terrible, whatever. But I I, I didn't say it was terrible. But I think what you can't say, you said he was worse than Jared Stidham. The, the, no, uh, I didn't say he was worse than Jared Stidham. Oh, sorry. You said you said he was worse than Ben DiNucci. My mistake. You said Ben DiNucci was the best quarterback the Broncos I said he looked the most Friday. comfortable. I, I, come on, Sean. You're, you you know better than okay. that. Okay. I must you have misinterpreted it. Do, do you believe that Wilson was the best looking I Broncos said quarterback on Friday? the most comfortable looking quarterback was Ben DiNucci. I okay. didn't say Ben DiNucci was the best quarterback or even the second best quarterback. I said if you're talking about ones against ones, twos against twos, threes against threes, the third Bronco quarterback looked more comfortable with his threes against Arizona's threes okay. than I thought any quarterback on the field, including those three who played for Arizona the other night. I thought he looked the most comfortable. He's also played more football recently than most of these other guys. Mm-hmm. He played 10 games. I mean, you can say what you want about the XFL. I don't watch the XFL either. I don't like the XFL but he did play 10 games in the XFL. So 
when you say he hasn't started a game in three years, that's true. Yeah, an NFL that's, game. That's true, right. an NFL game. But a third stringer that started did, an NFL game at all is impressive. play quarterback, and I thought he was clearly better than Stidham. Stidham is going to be the backup right. at the start of the year, just as Wilson's going to be the starter. I said the other day, I, I think maybe off the air, Wilson's job is not on the line in this preseason, no. but his reputation is. We, we I don't say, think yeah. his reputation is enhanced by what we saw the other night. I'm not saying the other night is the only basis for judgment, but I haven't seen anything on the practice field particularly that's shown me, wow, this is, you know, new coach is already having a discernible effect uh, and a good effect on Russell Wilson. I haven't seen that on a practice field, and I didn't see it in the first game the other night, and that's all we have to go on. And I guarantee you, if we had seen it, it would be talked about, it would be emphasized, and Sean Payton would be, uh, along with Russell Wilson, see, it was all Nathaniel Hackett. And even writers who are normally disinclined to criticize conventional wisdom said maybe the one thing we learned the other night was that it wasn't all Nathaniel Hackett's fault. Which I, I think... Savvy because folks he didn't knew look that, that already. Much different. But what he yeah. did was quite different. 14 dropbacks, 13 of them from the pocket. Uh, abysmal blocking. Wilson took multiple hits. Uh, also stepped up into the pocket to make throws, not to tuck and run. I, I saw a quarterback that made every effort to play the game he was asked to play and not play the game that he has played over the course but of he his did career. Not look comfortable. Not yet, but it, it's obviously going to be a process when you've played nine seasons well, one ten. way. You're, well, you're correct. Ten seasons one way. Nine seasons effectively one way and one with a totally off the rails, do whatever you want, virtually no coaching season. But my concern would be more if Wilson is uh, – bristling and, and looking like he's not going to go off script. And none of that happened. Well, the, I, I don't understand why if he's not James Harden all as well, it's not that it's that his protection is terrible. And Russell Wilson's instinct, even when his protection is good is to roll out and extend the play. He didn't do that even in his preseason. And I, I agree. I, I think you have to take the good and say, that's not the whole picture either. Just like the bad in preseason, but he didn't do that. He stood up and took hits. He made the correct reads and ditched the ball when he needed to. He stepped up in the pocket to throw. Those are things that he absolutely did. Well, okay, and, and not, those are not no, the way that Russell Wilson normally plays. No, nobody is saying that Russell Wilson is soft or that he's playing scared. I wasn't scared. saying he was soft. I'm saying he played in a different way. playing scared and looking lost. He looked lost. I'm not saying that I don't think that's he looked lost. the whole answer. Well, I... I don't know how you could watch the game and come away with a, another conclusion based on the I don't offense think going against for three series. Mm, I guess most, if not all, of Arizona starters. Then the fourth series going against no Arizona starters mm-hmm. and needing a fourth down conversion to produce a touchdown. I And... I think was precisely left in the game. There, there's no way that if they had scored on any of their first three possessions, he would have stayed in the game for a fourth possession against a second-team defense. They left him in there against a second-team defense because they wanted the offense in general, and Wilson in particular, to enjoy some success. But to say, as Peyton did after the game, that he was sharp uh, was ludicrous. I didn't say he was terrible, 
but it's ludicrous to say he was sharp. And he was good by comparison with Stidham. Uh, and, you know, we can debate whether Stidham was rushed harder, uh, faster. Uh, the percentages are pretty close, close to 60 and close to 65, both, you know, five percentage point difference in pressure rate. One guy went seven for 13, and the other guy who played against twos as well didn't do as well because he's not a not as good a quarterback. He's a backup quarterback. Russell Wilson last year was one of the five worst quarterbacks in the NFL. I think to say that that means as of right now he's one of the five worst quarterbacks in the NFL, I wouldn't say that. Uh, he might be one of the worst ten. Uh, he's probably where he's generally rated uh, right now, 18, 19, 20. Seems about right to me, but that's a far cry from being one of the top 10 or 12 because if you're one of the top 10 or 12, you're going to show up in one of these categories that we're talking about, 10 different categories measuring uh, quarterback play. Uh, as we identified earlier, he's got to show up. He's not in any of the top 10 rankings in any of these areas now. He's got to show up by the end of the year if they're going to be a playoff team in three or four or five of these categories. Again, as a top 10 guy, not just a guy. Yeah, I mean, votes. I think we agree he has to be and vastly the better votes, than the worst year your of his point, career. Right. To your point, the votes are based on his first 10 years. Uh, on his first 10 years, 2012 through 2021, and nobody can believe he can be a. You're saying bad all all of these national year. writers and all these multiple areas Who are just gave him votes are no, just ignoring no, last saying, year. I'm I'm saying that he's getting votes. He wasn't in the top ten in any of these categories. That's a reflection of last year and right. how bad he was. The year before, he was showing up in six or seven of these. The year 10 before, categories. he looked like he was on track for Canton. Um, after the, after last year, yeah, he, he wasn't. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and I think I, if you look at his first nine year, seasons of work, there's looks, not a lot to You keep saying like. nine. I mean, he's played 10 years in Seattle. He, and he was he did play in 2012. He won the job in a preseason game here. Uh, and, and listen, 2012 doesn't drag him down. Uh, he, he was an exceptionally good quarterback in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I think the sense was, and Rick Perea brought this out the other day, that there had been at least a slight decline, even in Seattle, and it wasn't all that noticeable except to people who played against him twice a year. And to them, it was noticeable that he had, since midseason 2020, been in gradual decline. And last year, nobody thought, I mean, nobody thought he'd be nearly as bad as he was. It was a disaster all the way around. I think he is showing up, and by showing up, I mean getting votes in some of these areas based on his first 10 years in the league and a belief that he can't be that bad again. I don't think he will be that bad again, but it's very different. And I can think, as I've said, of one other quarterback who kind of revived his career in his mid-30s when he went to a new team and played for a coach whose coaching philosophy synced up with his playing philosophy, and that was Carson Palmer. 
I cannot think of another quarterback who in his roughly mid-30s had a year as bad as Wilson and then immediately went back, new coach or not, to being the quarterback he had been even during his That's final true. year in Seattle. It, I, I can't think of any examples. It's also hard to find guys that, that had as good a previous 10 seasons, and then the 11th is an absolute train wreck, too. So there, there's a limited amount. Oh, I've seen, I've, I've seen that. I saw Joe Namath completely fall apart after 10 years in the league, in which he, when he was healthy, played quite well. And all of a sudden, in what was his 10th year, it, it, he kind of started to fall off the map. And then in 75, 76, and 77, he really couldn't play at all. But because he was Joe Namath, first in New York, and then his last year, unfortunately, in Los Angeles, where he was just given the job because he was Joe Namath, he had three years in the league that no other quarterback except an all-time great would have gotten. They would have cut him. Well, in more Today, he would be cut. fun news that I think Sandy and I agree on the quality of the player, one of the third, a third player in team history will be the face of the digital product of an entire league. We'll explain next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche, for the third time in their history, have the cover athlete of the long-running NHL video game, the official game for the league. Uh, Kale McCarr now will grace that cover. He had a brief post on social media talking about it in, in stereotypical hockey-level excitement about the honor. Hey, Avs fans, it's Kale McCarr here. Um, just want to say what an honor it is to represent the Colorado Avalanche on this new NHL cover. Uh, really hope you guys enjoy playing the game and looking forward to getting this new season started here. Every bit as enthusiastic as you'd expect from a hockey player, but in this case, McCarr. Oh, I, it, I saw some of his quotes, so he was really yeah. honored by that. And, uh, and, and it is kind of an interesting uh, situation. Now, Peter Forsberg was on the cover in 1997, uh, as a member of the Avalanche and Joe Sackick in 2004 in a, an odd scenario where immediately after the, the that game at ship, the cover athlete was Danny Heatley. Danny Heatley, uh, within weeks of that, was responsible for second-degree vehicular yeah. homicide in a car accident that killed his teammate Dan uh, Snyder. And yeah. the uh, the game basically shipped out with all new copies of with uh, Joe Sackick on the cover, so a very different situation. But the third Avalanche player to be on the cover, but... Um, I have, uh, in full disclosure, I've consulted on this game in the past, uh, a while back, and in the effort of trying to make these things a little more realistic and, and to really go further, further back, when I was younger, I will say that one of the early versions of this this game, back in the 90s, actually was how I learned how the offsides and two-line pass rules worked because I kept getting whistled for it, couldn't eventually figure it out. I'm like, oh, okay, got it. So I, I you can actually learn. This was back in the days when they were, you know, well, 16-bit blips. You, you, you don't have to worry about two-line passes, thankfully, things. gone. But there is realism in this, and it's kind of interesting to watch as the technology gets better and, and more and more players get access to this and gamers get access to it. They become savvier fans, and the big thing that uh, McCarr had a chance to talk about is there there's an alteration in the game 
this year for the first time in a while, now that there are some new systems out with a little more power, that they called the uh, sustained pressure system. And it's basically this, Andy, and it makes perfect sense. The longer that you control the puck in the offensive zone, what it does for you in, in the game terms, your offensive players' statistics creep up a little bit every couple seconds. And the defensive teams go down a little bit every couple seconds. McCarr explained it and said, when we get buzzing on our team and get good pressure, defenders start getting tired and then you start exposing different seams and things like that. When you're put on the press and you're in your own zone, it's definitely not fun. You're just trying to stay alive out there and live for another second. And uh, when asked about it by Greg Wyshynski of ESPN pointing out that, you know, would it be a lot of fun playing the game if all of a sudden you're on your heels and McCarr shrugged and said, it's a very true part of hockey. The ability to do that now and sort of encourage people to, to start playing in a more realistic hockey fashion. We've heard for years that college football players have come out and played the Madden game to get used to certain plays, to kind of be able to look at it and in their head kind of picture these plays and learn this sort of stuff. We've sort of reached a, a weird world where these have not only become entertainment products, but sort of training products in their own right. Oh, I think so. Uh, and it, these games really have evolved, uh, I think, to bring fans closer uh, to the game and understanding the game as it's played now. And I remember the games we used to play when I was uh, growing up, and the, there wasn't really any ability by playing those games to get closer to understanding what was actually yeah the out. actual mentality of the sport and uh, that applied to football uh, games and hockey uh, in particular uh, basketball to an extent and now it's it's so much more sophisticated and entertaining and it's it's that way for youngsters and it's that way for older people who just want to learn more about the game. Yeah. And Kale McCarr, in a lot of ways, uh, I, I, I won't say he's the face of the NHL, but I, I think he's a new face. Connor McDavid's been around mm -hmm. for a long time, and I'd still say he's the face of the NHL. Uh, McKinnon is certainly up there of Sidney Crosby yeah. among the great stars. Th those guys remain great stars, but if you're looking at the 25 and under sect, uh, you, you can't find a better representative. And the guy than the vanguard of of this sort of new inventive brand of uh, of hockey, where uh, you think of the game against the, the the Blackhawks, pivoted around, came around the back, well, sure, pivoted, stopped on a dime, it, spun backwards. He, uh, that's a defense. He's an offensive weapon, and he he has a a style that, especially for for a right-handed shooting defenseman, uh, is. Is very unusual. I mean, uh, I, I I was reminded of this in kind of a, a not not a funny as in comical way, but a uh, Bob Bond died the other day. The great uh, old defenseman from the Toronto Maple Leafs at, at the age of eighty six, most famous for scoring a game winning Stanley Cup goal on a broken leg. Yeesh. That was really broken. This was one anymore. of those airline fractures. This was a guy playing on a broken leg and scoring the game when he got, he had, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 37 career goals. But 
that's the way the game was played pre-Bobby Orr. Doug Harvey was a marvelous uh, offensive defenseman in those days, but he didn't score a lot of points. Defensemen didn't score until Orr came along. And listen, again, we have to be very careful with the way we phrase these things. Rain Gretzky during the final a couple of years yeah. ago said what I told you a year prior that <laughs> Bobby Orr and 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 Kale McCarr were 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 somewhat similar, and he was reminded of Bobby Orr when he saw Kale McCarr play. Now, as a experienced and brilliant a player as as Gretzky was, Gretzky never actually had to play against either Bobby Orr or Kale McCarr. Good timing. But but uh, there were good defensemen out there. Oh, yeah. And I think the point he was trying to make was that Orr revolutionized the game, and now it's been refined a little more on defense by what Kale McCarr does because you have something that you didn't have in Bobby Orr's day. You have three-on-three three overtime. Right. And he is an offensive threat as much as any player in the league, and certainly was that two years ago. Mm -hmm. Last year, he was just excellent. He wasn't necessarily great. He had those issues, one of which was a concussion that kept him out of the lineup, and I don't think after the concussion he ever got quite He didn't seem like he got quite right. I agree. Uh, And and he, he wasn't the brilliant player that we had come to expect. He had a very good he was uh, playoff series against Seattle. He was one of the few Avs who was at all a scoring threat in that series, and there weren't many. He's terrific, and I think he'll bounce back this year if he's healthy and able to play 70, 75 games. I think he'll be as good as ever in the 2023-24 season coming up. And he's a great representative for the league. He really is. He's soft-spoken, much the same way Orr was. Much the same way Orr was. Orr never drew attention to himself. Uh, the thing about Orr for his age, uh, and I mean the age in which he played, not his actual age individually, you fought him at your own risk. You might think that he needed protection in Boston from the other big bad Bruins, right? Uh, no, he was a better fighter than any of them were. <laughs> he, he, he could have been protecting them if that had been a, a serious part of, of his game. They didn't need his protection, but most importantly, he didn't need theirs. And I think Kale McCarr is kind of the same way. If you notice, I, I think that concussion was a cheap shot. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. Just, no, without, without sure question. Was. But, but I want seriously to see if you agree with me on this. I don't see a lot of teams, a lot of players taking runs at Makar. No, not and, usually. And, and trying to hurt him. And, and, and he's too good for that, one. And, yes, he was hit this year with a cheap shot. Um, that happens. But I, I don't think he's looked upon as a guy against whom you can take advantage physically. I don't, I don't think so. And on top of that, part of the problem is he's just hard to catch. 
hardly right. hit him at all. Right. He talked to, to ESPN last week about. But he's strong. He's stronger yeah, than about he appears to be. Gretzky's comments, of course, and also uh, uh, Bruce Cassidy, Vegas Golden Knights coach, in a podcast last week said that he's, quote, a modern day Bobby Orr. McCarr said those are crazy comments to be compared. Yeah. Like yeah, a guy yeah, like that yeah, is crazy. That's it's cool. hard for me to comprehend that. I'm 24. Yeah. I'm nowhere near that point yet. Obviously, a comparison wow. is a comparison, but for me, I'm bringing it down to earth a little bit. Anytime you're compared to someone like that, obviously you're humbled. But at the same time, I just feel like I've done almost nothing yet here. I'm still so young. Well, I will, I'm not sure if a Calder and a Stanley Cup and a Con Smythe is, you know, almost nothing. Well, but it, we it, can it, quibble, it, I suppose. I'll tell you what. Bobby Orr, great as he was, won two Stanley Cups. 1970, 1972. Kel McCarr's already got one. So, listen, Bobby Orr, to me, to me, is the greatest hockey player ever lived. So, saying anybody is on the same plane, I don't think that's exactly what either Cassidy or Gretzky is saying. And that's what McCarr is talking about. That, taking that next step and saying, well, he's he's the modern-day Bobby Orr, a right-handed version of Bobby Orr. Well, no. But no, nobody's Bobby Orr. But does he do things that remind you of Orr, especially the moves he makes? Now, Orr had speed, McCarr had speed. Orr had also, as it happened over the years, two very bad knees. It got worse and worse and worse. And Orr on two bad knees was still the best defenseman in the NHL. He wasn't dominant. I used to get in an argument with Mike Haynes about this all the time because Mike Haynes even believes more strongly than I do that Orr is the greatest player. And I, I I would say, you know, by by the mid-70s, he still was the best defenseman in the league. He just, because of the two bad knees, couldn't dominate quite the way that he did in his prime in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. You'll be able to get that cover uh, when if you're still buying discs. Do you put people in buy discs anymore? <laughs> McCarr with that game releases on October 6th. The Avalanche season will start against Wayne Gretzky's former LA Kings on the 11th, just a few days later. We'll turn our attention back to the Denver Broncos. Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette will join us for more on My Life Sports. 